is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 197, the type rating is one in your future, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felton, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Stuck Mike Avcast. Today we have an interview with Russ Rosleski, who recently completed his typewriting in a Citation 2. Hey, are you thinking of getting your typewriting? You know, why get a typewriting and how much does it cost? you ever think about those things? Well, today we talk about the reasons for getting your typewriting and discuss how to get one with Russ. Uh, maybe you're just up for a new challenge, and I think that would be really cool. But uh, before we get started, I want to say welcome to all our podcast co-hosts. Uh, first of all, there's Larry Overstreet, who's down in uh, in southern Texas, having a wonderful time in his motorhome, about to make his way over to Sun and Fun. And, and if you're worried, no, don't worry. Sun and Fun is not tomorrow. It's like a month or so or two away, and he's just taking his time. Welcome, Larry. We don't drive all that fast, Carl, these days, but uh, thanks a lot, and uh, welcome, or hello from southern Texas. Awesome. You know, that, I think that's so cool what you're doing, uh, just being able to get out there and, and bring us some great interviews, too, about places you've seen and uh, some amazing aviation venues and other venues uh, within your motorhome. So it's a wonderful life, that's for sure. It is. It is. It's been a lot of fun. And also joining us uh, this evening is uh, Victoria Nouvelle. Victoria, welcome. Hello. And uh, we also, the, oh, by the way, I should mention this too, uh, Victoria, that was a great interview uh, with your co-host, or excuse me, a co-worker over at uh, AirPros uh, with the Sebring show. So really appreciate uh, him doing that. And uh, of course, we did a shout out to you folks. So they just do Thank a great you. job. I tell you, you guys uh, at uh, Aviation Insurance Resources just are always out there at these shows helping people explaining things i love the fact that you guys do those seminars and you explain insurance and and what uh what's going to happen in the industry i like the fact that he actually was talking about what's coming up and some of the current concerns uh, from people so just a terrific company thanks uh, and tell him thanks for doing that interview yeah um, everything is changing so yeah. make sure you listen to it Mm -hmm. I'll tell you all about it. <clears throat> That's for sure. And also, uh, coming up is uh, Rick Felty. Rick, welcome to the podcast. Hey, hey there. Glad to be here. And uh, and then, of course, there is Russ. Russ Wozleski. Uh, this is the person that we are going to talk to this evening about something really cool that uh, that he did down in, uh, in, also, I think, in Texas area, wasn't it? That's right, Carl. Thanks. Well, cool. Um, we also have with us, who is uh, joining us right now on the podcast and uh, will be coming on live, is Tom Frick, who's actually in sunny Florida, and he's going to be coming on the, the podcast here shortly. Tom will be on uh, in just a second here. Let's do the pre-flight. Before we get started, I'd like to... Uh, 
Actually, a shout-out to our sponsors, of course, AviationCareersPodcast.com, where we have scholarships, career coaching, and interview preparation. Uh, one thing you should look for is the coupons that are out there, and there's I've been kind of going crazy with the coupons on the scholarships guide. And the reason I mention that, that there's so many scholarships that are coming up for people that are already involved in aviation. Big hats off to uh, AOPA reaching that $1 million mark as far as scholarships they've been giving away. Of course, Aviation Insurance Resources also have their scholarship in the uh, scholarship guys a matter of fact uh victoria you won a scholarship didn't you uh <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know i told you that and can we announce that i i, I should ask you i'm if not can. sure i can that's oh, why <laughs> but but if 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 we can announce it we will later on in, in another show but congratulations we're not Thank gonna tell you, you what it is uh because <laughs> but we're really really happy for you Joining us now is Tom Frick. Tom, hey, welcome to the podcast, Tom. Hey, Carl, how you doing? Doing wonderful. I'm glad you could join us this evening. And I'm assuming, uh, I, did, I said you're in sunny Florida, but uh, I assume that's where you are today. I am in sunny Florida. I'm in sunny North Florida. Ah, cool. Cool. Up towards uh, the panhandle, kind of in the bend there. That's pretty cool. So uh, that's, that's awesome that uh, you've been able to kind of have a new venue and see some new areas as far as flying is concerned. But, uh, and also, you're out there flying in a kind of a small jet there, too. So that's pretty cool. Also, another thing, too, um, as far as the other episodes, we had the Sebring. We're also coming up doing uh, some episodes with Sun and Fun. Don't forget that coming up shortly is going to be the next event that we're going to do live is Sun and Fun Sebring. I wish I could have been there every day, but I can only do only did the two. But uh, from Sun and Fun, uh, we're not going to commit to a daily show yet, but I think we probably will do another daily show like we did last time uh, because people really enjoyed that. But you are going to hear us live on the deck. We're going to be there all day long, uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So just uh, remember to go and listen. You can listen now, liveatc.net slash SNF. Now entering cruise flight. Well, on with the show and uh, with our interview with uh, Russ Rosleski. And Russ, this is kind of cool having you on as not just a co-host, but uh, the person we're interviewing. And we're talking today about something that I think is really neat, something that you've done as far as uh, the type rating. But uh, but before getting into, you know, what it is and things like that, um, just wondering, you know, what kind of brought this on? I know we, we talked a little bit about this in the last episode, but but why is it you're deciding to, to kind of go forward? Is it just for the challenge, getting a type rating? It's really a few things, Carl. Um, the The challenge is important to me. It's been a few years since I've uh, gone through any real training of any sort. And that was uh, when I got my ATP, but uh, I, I do like to learn new things every couple of years. Uh, so that's part of it, but it's really a, a great coincidence of timing. Uh, I was looking for a new challenge. Uh, the, uh, the job opportunities for a contract pilot in some light jets in this area are really pretty good. I have a friend who keeps very busy <laughs> as a side job, uh, flying, flying owners and their families around. So, uh, so right now is a great time for that. Of course, I guess all the, the airlines are, uh, hiring all kinds of pilots and, you know, so that helps people like me out <laughs> that aren't ready to go to airlines yet. So, uh, so there's that, uh, plus, uh, and I guess we'll get to in this a little later as well. I also have some remaining uh, GI Bill benefits that uh, helped offset the cost, too. So it was kind of a combination of all three things that just made it a perfect time for me. So the, the type rating is what you got in a citation. 
is citation two is is that the proper way to to say the type rating? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean. It's- generally known as the citation to the type rating itself is the CE 500, which covers 11 or 12 different models of citation, actually the two, um, the, the one, uh, the five and a couple other variants of each of those. So it's a pretty, uh, flexible type rating, I guess, covers a lot of different models, similar to the, the Learjet, the basic Learjet, uh, type rating is, is similar in that it, uh, covers, I don't know, seven or eight different types of Learjet as well. Interesting. You know, this is really cool because some of our listeners have said be, it'd be really cool to go into one of those full motion sims and get the type rating. Um, but uh, before we talk about that, what is what exactly is a type rating and, and why do I need that? Well, a type rating is required for in order to act as pilot command of any aircraft that either weighs more than 12,500 pounds or is powered by a jet engine. So, uh, you know, anything that's powered by a jet engine, even if it's lighter than 12,500 pounds, requires this type rating. Well, the Citation II is 13,500 pounds, so that's more than 12,500, and it has a jet. So a type rating is required to, like I said, act as pilot and command of these these airplanes. And also, uh, I know one thing, too, that's interesting is that um, I think on certain airplanes that aren't even that heavy, you still have to get a type rating. If uh, basically, if the administrator uh, says, "Hey, you got to get a type rating on this aircraft," deeming it complex enough that you have to get a type rating, which is kind of cool. I think it's neat that uh, one of the things that uh, you know we talk about in the aviation world, you know, we get our private pilot license, and then we go on and get our instrument, and uh, you know, it's kind of like the masters and the doctorates, ATP, and and this this is kind of like getting a second doctorate i always tell people it's like you you have a a specific rating in an aircraft um but you know if if you're just thinking about it it's like gosh you know this airplane that you're flying it doesn't it doesn't make sense at first it's just it's a plane is a plane isn't it but uh i know you just went through the the training so you could speak towards that It, it truly i think it's a great idea uh that they have the type rating because it truly is uh, a complex piece of machinery, and it's it's totally different than any of the other aircraft out there. I mean, what I, I'm hoping you would agree with that. I do, and it's and maybe I'll get into this a bit later, but it it was totally different from most of the other aircraft of my experience. I mean, I'm not a jet pilot. I've right seated twice ever in the last you know six years, so I'm not a jet pilot. I'm, I'm a piston pilot. Been that way for twenty something years. Uh, you know, light twins and, and singles and, and that's it. So that's my experience base. So I didn't really know entirely what I was getting into here. And, uh, it was, it was a lot to learn and a lot of different systems and more than I really ever had considered. I mean, you can, you can read the, uh, the POH for a Piper Cherokee in about 15 minutes, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but you can't do that quite with, with a jet. So there's a lot more to learn and a lot of systems and, and things that can go on and things that can go wrong too. So I'm I'm curious. I would assume that you had some experience with some of these systems, but there might be some systems on the aircraft. I know for me it was that way that are totally foreign, like maybe I don't know a pack or something like that. Well, the one example that that I thought of that I had no experience with was the engine fire switch in the fire bottles. I mean, you know, there's no real fire suppression system in a uh, in a Baron or a Bonanza or a Cherokee, right? Uh, there's the, the fire extinguisher behind the seat, maybe, but that's it. So, um, so some of the stuff, you know, I, I actually got the, uh, 
all the study materials about a month ahead of time uh, from a friend of mine who had recently gone through the course. And so he just gave me everything. As a, he told me, study the limitations and the memory items and you'll be fine. I'm like, great, I can do that. So I started to do that. And I realized that I just don't have a frame of reference for some of this stuff. You know, like, like this, I, I could recite the engine fire checklist, but I didn't really know what engine fire switch affected engine lift cover and push meant <laughs> you know i wasn't sure what that did uh, this whole concept of you know aiming and arming the fire bottles and then ex- you know extinguishing the fire just was a new concept to me it's something i hadn't really considered before so there were a bunch of different examples of that where i i it wasn't just enough to learn rotely the uh, the action items i had to figure out what these things were you know because they just were beyond my experience did you uh, pick up one of those books, like, what is it, the, like the Turbine Pilots uh, Guide to Flying or something like that? Before? You know, I, I didn't. <laughs> I figured I had enough to study already. <laughs> but, but something like that probably would have given me a good introduction into it before I even started, I bet. I bet. So when you're, you have this new, like, just going to your fire, a good, that's a great example of fire bottles. Did uh, they talk you through, since you have no experience, you're basically a customer of theirs, and you're saying, you know, I've, I don't even know what the fire bottles are or what you mean by, you know, arming the squibs and things like that, and what is a squib, and, you know, did they walk through those things with you? They did, um, and... There were many times where, you know, they would go along and we'd just ask questions if, you know, we didn't know what they were talking about. And they were perfectly happy to, to uh, you know, stop and explain and, and catch people up because people do come from all kinds of different backgrounds for these things. I mean, I, I heard of one guy who was in another type rating class who had about 600 total hours. And that just seems really low. So, uh, you know, I imagine that his learning curve was even steeper. Uh, but yeah, they were real, real cooperative. All the instructors were real good to, to work with and help explain things like that. One of the things that I think is, is cool about what you've done is, you know, type ratings for these people going to the airlines is totally different. It seems to me, and I've been through a commercial typewriting once where, uh, meaning that, uh, you feel like the customer, it seems to me that they, they it's almost as if they really want to get you through this whole process and they work with you. Uh, I was just kind of wondering if you could speak towards that as far as what what was the experience like? Were they trying to beat you over the back of the head with a stick or was it a very pleasant experience? Oh, yeah, it was nothing like that. It, there was there was no, you know, yelling at you. Got to learn this. You got to learn this. No, it was it was very, uh, very easygoing. Uh, all the instructors, I want to, yeah, all the instructors were actually still currently flying the aircraft, you know, on a, on a contract type basis. So that was good. You know, it hadn't been 30 years since they'd seen the airplane. Uh, so they were all real, real helpful. Um, I have nothing but good things to say about, about the, um, the approach to instruction in there. The, um, anything we needed to repeat, you know, over again, a couple of times was fine. It was, it was working as you said to to get us through we are paying customers after all so it's in their best interest as a business that we succeed but so they did they did their best to make sure it happened interesting that you said that they're still flying the airplanes so some of the instructors in these simulators uh they don't actually have to have been in the aircraft and flying it for a while it is really cool to have somebody that has a bunch of experience because uh, I know the simulators, they're great and wonderful and all, but then there's always those real life stories. Did they actually relate any of those real life stories? Like, this is what happens in the sim, but this is what happens actually in real life? 
they did. And one of the great things about uh, my experience there was, you know, I, I've described my background, you know, no jet experience. I've never worked in a, in a two person crew environment. You know, I don't know what each person's supposed to do. Uh, but my sim partner, so you're paired with someone, you know, they try to keep the class in even number of students so they can pair you with somebody. And my sim partner, uh, he was kind of the opposite, opposite. And he had not flown a whole lot of general aviation, had been, uh, uh, yeah, a regional airline pilot for a little while, then flew some business jets, some different models, but hadn't flown for over 10 years. So he had that, uh, you know, that knowledge of, you know, the parts that I didn't, you know, the crew coordination and that kind of stuff and a lot about operating a jet, but he just wasn't current in any regard. Um, so we were able to really help each other out on that. And, and both of us were able to ask questions of the, uh, the simulator instructors and say, you know, okay, so I know we're doing this here, but you know, if you're really flying, would you do it this way or would you do something, you know, that kind of thing. And he, he helped me by having, you know, the experience of being in a jet and knowing what types of situations come up so that he could ask the questions and I could kind of learn from that. So that worked out really well. I wonder if um, in the citation too, and I forgive me because I don't know the, the two very well. The, I know on certain aircraft you can fly a uh, single pilot. Is that is there any ability for to, to do that in the citation too or in that type rating? Uh, there is. Uh, it takes an additional uh, five or six day course, I think. And obviously you'd have to have appropriate experience to be able to complete that. Uh, my sim partner actually stayed on and probably uh, tomorrow or something starts with the single pilot uh, course. So that can be approved in, in the citation too as well. Yeah. So that, and that's kind of interesting because one of the things that uh, a lot of people think about is like, wow, a jet, you know, really is flying at single pilot. That can be quite difficult. There's a lot of operations out there. I know the first time I ever flew a jet was uh, in an aircraft where they really, I didn't have to have my type or anything. I just had to have my multi-engine rating. And uh, I was like, wow, this is totally wild. I mean, if, if this guy, you know, can't fly anymore, then I'm not so sure I'd know what the heck I'm doing over here. I basically was swinging gear and uh, and running the radios. You cannot see that every so often uh, in that environment where these people get their ratings to fly single pilot. It's uh, and a lot of people wind up having another pilot on board just for the insurance. But I think if if you're and this is my opinion, I think that if you're going to be in an aircraft that you're going to be flying and in the right seat, it probably be a really good idea to get training in that aircraft, kind of like what you've done, uh, you know, getting in your type rating, because you've gone above and beyond. Now, you can definitely go out there and fly as pilot in command. Uh, you can fly as second in command if uh, the operation, you know, necessitates that, as opposed to just being someone who's just went from a seminal like I did and then flew a hawker. <laughs> you know, I was like, wow, this is a big leap, and I've never gotten any training at all. And people are probably listening, saying, wow, you can do that. It's like, well, yeah, you can do that. It's just, uh, it really, <laughs> I'm not sure with passengers on or part 135, maybe not, but in certain other instances you can. So now that you've done this training, do you feel that, uh, hey, you can go out and take it, for, or hey, maybe you could take us all for a spin in it? Well, sure. Let's, let's all go, uh, well, I was going to say, let's go to Florida, but you guys are already there, so that wouldn't <laughs> no, yeah. be much of a trip. Yeah. Let's go to the Bahamas or something. Yeah, Bahamas. We'll go do I'll that. go to Florida. Oh, okay. Very good. <laughs> so first you have to pick up Vic, then, then go get Rick, and then go all the way down and get Larry and come on over. And uh, But that might cost a little bit of money to it, do all that. 
Yeah, it might. Of course, <laughs> the the fuel would be pretty expensive. Um, but so you're asking if I, you know, I feel comfortable just go out and fly the jet or whatever. So since this is my first type rating and I don't have other previous, um, turbine time from some other thing, um, I have on my certificate, it says, uh, well, the wording is weird, but basically it's an SOE requirement, which is a supplemental operating experience, which is pretty standard for uh for someone in my situation i'll have uh i'll have to fly with another fully type rated pilot for the first 25 hours after that i could have an sic like you were talking about along along for the ride if i wanted to if they were properly qualified so 25 hours you know to get me used to flying the airplane and i have no problem with that yeah, i think it's a great idea guys you look at the airlines as much it's usually longer than that and that's for a reason you know it's uh amazingly enough it, it takes a while to get used to all that stuff especially going that fast and you know i was wondering what what do you think was i'm kind of precluding this with not putting words in your mouth but what do you think was the toughest thing as far as flying was it going 500 you know miles an hour well <laughs> fortunately i I guess fortunately, and the you know it was all in training, so we really didn't get up to cruise and going that fast too often. You know, we're sitting there doing maneuvers and many many approaches. Uh, I guess really one of the the hardest things for me was uh, knowing when to do stuff and when not to do stuff, uh, knowing when to run checklists and that that whole thing. I mean, there are there were so many checklists that I'm just not used to. Uh, in fact, in many ways the the co-pilot's job in at least in this course was harder than the pilot's job because they had to be keeping up, you know, keeping up on all the radios and the, you know, settings for the, you know, altitude alerters and the, you know, running the checklist when we had a problem and that kind of thing. So, so that was new to me. I'm used to sitting in the right seat, just kind of, you know, telling the pilot what to do as an instructor, right? <laughs> Not having to, uh, you know, actually have a real, you know, such an active role in the, in the flight. So, so that was new to me. Uh, I think, uh, Oh, I lost my train of thought here, but uh, I'll, I'll get it back. But, so, uh, you know, with that said, I mean, it, it just as far as the the whole you know going fast and stuff and in training, I mean, there's got to be other things that you felt were were really challenging. Something that that really stretched you uh, to maybe some of your limits and and stretched you in general as a pilot. Well, yeah, definitely. Uh, and one of the things was, of course, it being faster than uh, I mean the probably the fastest airplane I've routinely flown in is under 200 knots, certainly 190 or so like that. And, you know, this will, this will go well above that. Uh, so getting used to the speed of things happening and, and planning ahead was one thing. Uh, but sometimes what I think what amazed me, the specific example was you know, engine fails on, on takeoff, right? Right after liftoff engine fails. Well, in a piston twin, you got some things you need to do right now, you know, uh, <laughs> clean it up, identify, verify, feather, you know, all that kind of those memory items you got to do right now. And so the first time that happened, you know, we, we took off and, you know, I don't know, I had a fire or who knows what the instructor did. I don't remember. And, and I'm flying and I'm, you know, I'm like trying to push buttons and turn knobs and fly the airplane and call for some checklist. And, and the instructor's just like, Russ, stop. Don't do anything <laughs> because, because at least in this airplane, the immediate actions for an engine failure right after takeoff are nothing. You do nothing different until you get up to a safe altitude and then you run through the checklist and do that kind of thing. So, um, so I, I wanted to do things a lot faster in several cases than, than I really needed to. And I, 
was told to just just relax, take take a breath, you know, slow it down. You know, that, that whole, uh, you know, wind your watch before you do anything in an emergency. The, the old story about that was was true in this case. And once I learned how to do that, things worked out a whole lot better. Yeah, that's I think the toughest thing for most people to get used to is I know I sat with a lot of people transitioning from props and that. That's really, you don't do anything except for push on the rudder and make sure you keep going straight, obviously. Uh, but you really want to do so much. And I tell you, I think that can be really stressful. Just, you know, waiting till you get to a safe enough altitude to start cleaning up the airplane and then start your checklist, et cetera. You know, there's nothing you do in a hurry because, first of all, you're climbing out. You're, you're probably not going to hit anything if you do it properly and, and you control the aircraft. Whereas, uh, you know, in a piston twin, you're, you're moving so many things so quickly because you want to clean it up so you can get a little bit of climb out of the aircraft. So there's a, a, a kind of a different philosophy there having all that excess power. And I'm curious, did that aircraft that you were flying, did it climb at like a thousand feet, a hundred feet? How many feet per minute would it climb in just one engine? I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to the climb rate. <laughs> I was just aiming for the target speed and climb out. But it did. It did okay. I mean, it, it was fine. Uh, it climbed out obviously a lot better on two, and and it actually climbed pretty well. At least, of course, from my experience. You know, most people out there probably are familiar that the uh, you know Citation Two is not considered a particularly fast jet. You know, has a nickname Slotation and some other uh, derogatory <laughs> names. But uh, to me, it was it was amazing. You know, it was like a rocket. Well, that's cool. I mean, it's neat that you did this. I know there's some other re- you gave us some reasons why you did it, but if someone's thinking of doing this, I mean, I think it it could be a challenge. I guess uh, you know what what would you think of as far as the why you'd actually get a type rating? Why you'd get a type rating? Mm-hmm. Well, certainly if you if you had run out of aviation challenges, it would be a good one, I suppose. Not a cheap one. I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but but. I enjoy expanding, uh, you know, my aviation knowledge, uh, having new skills, learning about different aircraft. I, I have, I've been working in aviation my whole life and I've taken courses on jet engine design and other systems like that. And, but I've never actually put it all into practice, uh, like I did, you know, the last couple of weeks or hopefully do a lot more of in the future here. So it was, it was a whole new side of aviation for me and, and that, I think, is, is really valuable and helps me improve as a pilot. Interesting. Larry, you had a question. Yeah, I've always liked citations. And uh, incidentally, it's the only um, uh, biz jet that I've ever been able to ride in myself. So uh, I have a little soft spot there. But I'm curious as to, um, given your reasons for getting the uh, type rating, did you consider any other aircraft to get a type rating in, or how did you select the citation versus you know other potential type ratings you could have gotten? Well, the main reason was the availability of potential employment flying. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, as, as I think I mentioned, I have a friend who flies these pretty regularly, and he needs some help. <laughs> so uh, that, that really clinched it right there. You know, I had, you know. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had the I had the time for you know from work, and I had the uh, you know the scheduling flexibility, and and everything just kind of aligned, and the citation too was just the way to go for me. Now, you know, hopefully this will uh, you know continue into something, and maybe future type ratings will uh, come up later too. I certainly wouldn't mind that, but uh, for now, this was just the most logical way to go. I was curious. Um, you said there's obviously there's a financial investment, but 
um, time-wise your investment. You studied before and then you came out of it with how many hours of ground school and how many hours of sim time? I don't know the number of hours, but it was two solid weeks. So it was six days of class, one day off, and then seven days in the simulator. So uh, simulator sessions were about a total of four hours long, two hours in each seat. Uh, the ground school was, uh, I guess, nine o'clock to five o'clock or five thirty or something like that every day. So, you know, pretty pretty lengthy. It was a full it was a full two weeks definitely. Uh, and as I mentioned, I had been studying ahead of time too. Now, that really helped me out a lot. Some you know some people I guess when they go to these courses don't get their materials until the day of the course, which to me seems really late. But uh, wow. but so, yeah, so the, um, there was a lot of time studying and then you know after after school every day i'd go back to my hotel room and study some more uh, so it was it was not a um it was not a vacation certainly and uh it was a it was a heck of a lot of work so you lived and breathed this for two weeks i did like that was your life yeah it, it really was i mean you know i had had great plans to you know go visit friends nearby and this kind of stuff and most of those plans didn't happen some of them i still was able to squeak in but yeah no, it was it was pretty busy. Well, maybe Russ, we can get one of these as a club plane for the stuck Mike Avcast. We'll just have to find insurance. Uh, but I, I, mm. <laughs> I tell you that that is sounds tough. It does. I know someone. <laughs> I was going to say I know someone that could, could get it for us. But interestingly, though, that the, the reason you reminded me, uh, Victoria, is the fact that a lot of folks actually will go out and purchase it. You'd be surprised purchase something like this and not actually be able to fly it. I mean, there's people that I had a guy show up and say, hey, I want to learn how to fly in a jet. Can you teach me? I was like, well, of course, but uh, I'm not sure you'd be able to fly. You're probably going to have to hire someone to fly with you. Of course, that would could turn into a job, like you said. But one of the things that I think is is really neat is the fact that you did this and you did it uh, and funded it through certain means. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but I think you know a lot of us here sitting here saying you know this is really way too expensive for me to try this and go out and get the type rating but there are other ways to get a type rating say it's in something like a a historic aircraft or you can actually go out and find somebody to fund it for you Um, there's always you know someone saying hey why don't we go out and get you know, a rating uh, through an organization like EAA or through the commemorative Air Force, that type of thing, you do have to pay in a little, but it's not quite as much as the type rating you got. Also, obviously, there's scholarships out there for type ratings and like 737s and Airbuses and things like that. So if you really want to do that, if you want to, the challenge of getting a type rating, just like anything else, it can happen. I know the numbers seem huge, but I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, that hey I got this you know scholarship for a type rating a 737 I decided not to use it because you know I really don't want to take the time to go get it but they're out there those kind of things so those opportunities are there but for the most people they have to fund it themselves uh, you know maybe you have a, a spouse that wants to get you a few hours towards your type rating that'd be awesome or a friend etc but you actually were able to, and we'll, let's talk about that now, as far as the financing, you were able to do it through uh, your GI Bill, or um, can you explain that a little bit, and maybe some people listening have that availability, but also there's ways to get loans, and, and I know some of these simulator companies can help you there. So talk talk to some of the folks that are ex-military first, you know, how did you go about uh, getting approval to be able to use those funds for this? 
Sure. So I do have the post 9-11 GI Bill, and that's what I use to cover most of the cost of this course. And that would pay for, you know, depending on your on your uh, benefits rating, I guess, it, you know, up to 100 percent of the tuition cost, not the uh, the hotel or food or anything like that. But uh, so the post 9-11 GI Bill used for this is no different than any other flight training you might try to get through the GI Bill. Uh, you, you work with a school that's v, VA approved uh, for that specific course and you do some paperwork with the VA. That was very simple. Uh, didn't, didn't take very long. Actually, I got it back from the VA pretty quickly, which, you know, it's a government organization. So that you know, surprises everybody, but uh, got it back pretty quickly. And then the, uh, then the, you work with a school and they know you're a, a VA student. So they have additional paperwork cause it's all paperwork, you know, and, uh, and, but it was really pretty painless as far as that stuff went, as long as you had the remaining benefits, which if you are GI bill eligible, you, uh, can easily go to the VA website and get a, um, a, I guess a, a status update on your, on where you are with your, your benefits and how much you have remaining. So it, it really wasn't much of a problem from that regard. The, the only stickler is you have to, and this is just how the school does it, I guess, to make sure they get paid. Um, you have to front the money first, and then you'll get reimbursed later once the VA uh, you know, reimburses the school. And it, it's a little bit convoluted process, but you have to be able to front the money first, which is you know, not, not an insignificant amount. So with that said, I guess, uh, you know, first of all, that could be a little scary. I mean, you know, you might not get the check for a while, especially if, say, something happened with the government, maybe a shutdown or something like that, where that check doesn't come to you for a while. I mean, uh, you could front a lot of money. I'm not uh, – maybe you could share with us possibly what it costs in general uh, for the different type ratings. Maybe they shared that with you. Like if I wanted to go in and just write a check, how much would it cost for me to go in and, say, get to a citation rating? Okay, so the well, the retail price, <laughs> word it that way, because <laughs> as I understand, uh, there are there's room for negotiation on these. Uh, the retail price for this citation uh, two type rating is twelve thousand six hundred forty dollars, and you know a couple of the others around there, um, the the King Airs are actually more at nineteen, Falcon ten at thirteen, Learjet thirty five at sixteen thousand, but then it goes up to you know the fifty thousand dollars or something for you know the Global Expresses and then those larger. Jets. Those courses are also a lot longer too, but uh, yeah. So you're looking at you know multiple tens of thousands of dollars for any of this type of type rating course. So when you hear your flight instructor saying that they're thinking of going to such and such a company, but they're, gonna, they're making me stay for 24 months and otherwise I have to pay them back, that's probably why they're doing that. I'm thinking. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's it's a significant cost outlay for for a company sending you as well. And that actually is something that I think it's you know for some people that's that's not that much money they could you know the the twelve thousand or so they could maybe do that if that's something they've always wanted to do they could save up uh, for that type of challenge the only thing is you get to that point and now you have a rating you don't really have an airplane maybe to to, to go fly but it is it'd be pretty cool to have that uh, right there on your certificate you know one of the things I'm curious about on the certificate is that. And I know with the airlines, they don't really, like, give you an endorsement or something like that. I know in a, in a jet, you can get uh, – you're going to fly up at high altitudes. Do they give you the uh, high-altitude endorsement, or do you have to get that on your own? 
You know, I, that question was on some of the initial paperwork we filled out, whether you need a high altitude endorsement or not. And I already had one, so I didn't need one. So I said, you know, no, I don't need one. But just the fact that they had that question kind of implies to me that if you didn't, they would provide you with one because we did all the necessary stuff, uh, you know, the systems training and pressurization systems and emergency uh, descents and all the stuff that's required for altitude endorsement. So it really wouldn't have been anything for them just to sign that off. Yeah, and that's an important point if you do decide to do something like this. It's, gosh, you know, uh, and I did that. I went through the whole process, got a type rating in, uh, in an Embraer 120, and afterwards uh, I went to go fly in a jet and realized I didn't have my high-altitude endorsement. So for me to go fly right seat, I had to go up with an instructor and get my high-altitude endorsement, even though I'd been flying already at high altitude. So uh, just, just a little something to think about, and that's great that they actually kind of checked that off. The um, the process though through from soup to nuts just you said something about you study beforehand so how did you study did they like uh, maybe you could walk us through the process quickly as far as you know what you started with and then uh, how each process went how were there training gates and that type of thing were there exams etc. Okay, so I this all happened pretty quickly. Um, I figured out that, you know, that this is the way I wanted to go in about the first week of December and signed up for the course that was started the second week of January, I guess. So, so about a month in there. And like I mentioned, I had a friend who had just gone through the course a few months before. So he handed me all his training materials, all the, the books, the you know, flashcards, everything. And since he had gone through it, he kind of you know, targeted my study, you know, make sure you know these, you know, these types of things. Uh, limitations on the airplane and such. And so that's, that's what I mostly studied for that month. I tried to go through all, you know, all the rest of the book, try to get some exposure to different terms and that kind of stuff. But, uh, what actually really kind of surprised me, and I don't know if it's maybe because of the, you know, the holidays were kind of in the middle. I figured that as soon as I signed up for the course, they'd send me stuff, you know, links or something like that. But that stuff didn't really come until the week before the course started, which to me seemed a little bit unnecessarily late. But, uh, I don't know, maybe that's how it works. Or like I said, maybe it's just, you know, Christmas and new year's were kind of in there and I don't know, but, uh, me being able to get the materials a month in advance just helped tremendously. Uh, because once we, once we got into the course, it was like, like I mentioned, it was all day, every day. And then you get home at night and you're tired from the class, but you still gotta, gotta do a little bit of studying. Um, there were no, um, hard, you know, graded tests, except for the check ride, of course, at the end. Uh, but they did every day. They did like a little kind of a self-review prod, uh, progress check that you were supposed to have done the night before based on the, the topics for the day. And that was actually a really good, really good review. I mean, the, the answers were provided in the back of the book, that kind of thing. So it was just, just a check on yourself to see if you understood what they had covered that day. Uh, so, so that was for the for the ground school part. Once we got into the simulator, there wasn't really any uh, you know mandated uh, activities other than show up for the simulator session. But of course, the uh, the smart student <laughs> would would look at what you're going to do the next day and study up on those things. So, for example, we had one day in the simulator which was focused on cold weather operations. We did a flight from Seattle to Portland where the temperature was you know, negative something degrees Celsius and icing conditions all over the place. So the day before that, well, I 
looked in the book and learned and reviewed as much as I could about the anti-ice and de-ice systems, right? And that helped me for the next day. So being able to know what's coming up and study ahead a little bit definitely helped a lot. Uh, and that's what I'd highly recommend anybody there there does. Because, you know, they're not, at least the, the place I went, they were not throwing anything weird or unusual at you that they hadn't already covered. So you knew it was coming up. I mean, they, they told you before the sim, we're going to do this and this and this, and you're going to have an emergency decompression and you know, you're going to have ice form and whatever you're going to have. So uh, it was very straightforward. You knew it was coming up, so you had lots of time to prepare and study. So as far as studying is concerned, is there any advice, uh, maybe not just studying, but also preparing yourself uh, mentally, physically, and also book knowledge for those that are thinking about doing such a thing? Because this, this sounds like an incredibly accelerated process. Well, it sure was. I mean, it's two weeks long. Um, you know, of course, air, airliners are obviously more, more complex. They have a lot of different systems. But you know, airline training courses, many times <laughs> the length of this two-week course. So it is very compressed. So anything you can do ahead of time is great. I and mean, even if you don't have the study materials, if you, uh, if you've never really had any exposure to a turbine engine before, you know, read the airplane flying handbook, you know, read the tur- what the turbine pilots flight manual, um, you know, YouTube videos, you know, that kind of stuff. Try to expose yourself to as many of these systems as you can. Uh, I tried, you know, just Googled, you know, citation to, uh, training or something like that and watched some, uh, some videos on that. So anything you can really do to get ahead is great because, uh, but like we've talked about, once you're there, it's really, really busy and, and you don't have a, you know, a whole lot of, you know, time to relax. Um, you know, sometimes the, uh, the schedule can be crazy and you know, ground school was pretty, pretty reliable. It was just during the day, but the simulators, well, like I said, you're in the simulator for four hours a day and there was, there was only one of them at this school for this airplane. So, you know, if there were other courses running, you know, there's only so many four hour blocks available in a day, right? So, um, so there were, you know, people doing simulators at seven thirty at night or, you know, whatever, midnight or something like that. Um, so the, the scheduling can definitely be a little bit crazy in that regard. And that, well, you know, if you're waking up at weird times, that kind of throws you off too. So the more you can know ahead of time, um, certainly the better. And I, I will say when it comes right down to the end, um, I thought, and, and this is how I try to train all my uh, all my students as well. I thought the check ride was easy, you know. <laughs> so I'd studied so hard and had been prepared so well that the the oral and the check ride, which I, we can talk about how those went in just a minute, um, but I thought they were easy because I was so prepared uh, because I had been studying for then a month and a half. I would hope I <laughs> I hope I knew <laughs> knew the systems by then. Well, before we get to that check ride, I'm kind of curious. It must have been really cool the first time you actually got to push up the thrust levers as opposed to the throttle on a piston aircraft. And, you know, for somebody who's looking at doing it the first time, uh, you know, what was that experience like if you compare it to a piston aircraft? I thought the cool part was starting the engine, actually. (laughs) 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 Well, you know, you're out there on the ramp, start, you know, getting ready to start your 172 or something. There's this jet turbine wine starting up. And I just thought that's really cool. (laughs) You didn't get to smell the, uh, the the jet fuel though, in the simulator, like you you do on the ramp. But, uh, but 
yeah, pushing the throttles up. Uh, it's just a, just a great feeling, you know, the acceleration, the continual building acceleration and the speed keeps increasing above, you know, my normal cruise speed, uh, you know, as you're climbing out. It was, it was a great feeling and I can't wait to, to apply it in the real airplane. Yeah, that is kind of cool. You're still being stuck in into the back of the seat as you're even rotating and you're accelerating. And it is just so exhilarating to have all that kind of power pushing you forward. And that that's kind of the thing I, I like about the jet aircraft. It's just just a lot of fun, a lot of power. That's uh, but but you're kind of it, it's sometimes overwhelming at first because you're like, oh my gosh, you know, if something happens or whatever, it's going to happen so fast because we're going so quickly. So you really do have to to think in ahead of that air plane um but one of the things that you said as far as the check ride and oral you so you did all this training was is this just like uh when you get somebody their private rating you sign off you know and you go out and you do the IACRA and all that kind of neat stuff and you're done yeah it was really pretty much the same thing <laughs> we uh met you know the examiner in the morning of the check ride both uh, me and the and my sim partner uh, you know, it was a kind of a simultaneous check ride, which, you know, that was new, you know, I've never taken a check ride with anybody else. Uh, so, you know, we met the examiner at six 30 in the morning, you know, bright and early and, uh, went through, you know, did the IACRA stuff just like normal, uh, went into the, the oral exam, which was, now this was a little bit, uh, unusual or unexpected i guess because of course there's two of us right so he would literally just go back and forth between the two of us asking us questions you know he'd ask okay what is what are the memory items for engine fire okay and you know i'd say them and then he'd ask my sim partner what's the you know flapper traction speed you know and then he could just go back and forth and it was it was pretty straightforward i mean there were no big surprises you know he asked us the the memory items he asked us a bunch of limitations on the airplane and then he went up to a uh, a diagram of the cockpit that was on the wall and just started you know going okay if I if I turn on this switch you know what what does that do you know what systems does that affect you know if you lose your uh, your AC power uh, what you know what does that take out what effect does that have you know, just just through you know the different warning lights and say what does this do how do you deal with this uh, with that kind of thing and so that's all the stuff we had learned and studied in the ground school part so there was there were no surprises there either and then then we got onto the uh then we moved down into the uh the flight part of the of the check ride and again there were no real surprises there we we had a you know a good idea we did a check ride prep the day before which was very similar to the check ride and we knew you know most of what was kind of coming our way i mean it, it's a check ride you know it's just like it, just like your commercial check ride or your private pilot check ride, you know what's coming up. You know you're going to have to do, you know, steep turns and stalls and all this stuff. So this check ride was no different. Um, and we, we we actually did those kind of things. You know, some people may not realize that when you do a check ride for a type rating, you go out and you do steep turns and you do stalls. You do unusual attitudes, just like, <clears throat> excuse me, just like a lot of the other, the other ratings. And those were fun. Those were, uh, those were a good time, and uh, we both did well at those. Um, and we came back, and you know, that was you know out in the practice area around uh, JFK. Everything we did for for this uh, this check ride, and a lot of the training was in the uh, New York area airports around JFK. For whatever reason, that's just where they picked. Lots of complicated approaches, I guess. But uh, so then we came back, and we did approaches. We did you know engine failures. We did single engine approaches. We did two engine approaches. We did approaches with 
the autopilot, approaches without the autopilot. We ended up doing four different approaches. One of them was a circling approach. Uh, you know, one, uh, the fifth one was a visual approach with stuck flaps. Um, the visibility and ceiling, you know, continually changed. So sometimes we had to go mist. Sometimes we didn't. Uh, sometimes we landed. Uh, the circling one, especially now, I've done a lot of uh, circling, you know, practice circling approaches just through training, you know, with students. And yeah, you know, it's a beautiful, clear day, and you, you, you're under the hood, and you break off, and you flip the hood up, and you do the circle, right? It's, the visibility is 100 miles, no big deal. Well, of course, in the simulator, that's not the case. They set the visibility at a mile or whatever, and it's it's a whole different world. Uh, and that I had never, I'd never tried to circle an airplane with you know, a mile visibility or a mile and a half or two or whatever for real. It just doesn't ever really happen. So, so that, that, that was fun. It was very educational and showed me why a lot of operators don't allow circling approaches <laughs> because it was, it was a little bit uncomfortable. But, um, so we, uh, so we got in the, when we got in a simulator, we kind of, you know, I don't know, flipped a coin or whatever to see who went first. And I ended up going first, which was fine with me. I like going first. <clears throat> and so I was a pilot and my sim partner was a co-pilot and the examiner just sat in the back and operated the, you know, the simulator and threw all the failures at us and such. Well, so I got done with my check ride and he said, you know, congratulations, you passed. All right, that's great, but I couldn't leave. <laughs> you know, I still, <laughs> I still, had, I still had another two hours to go. Uh, so, you know, I had to be, you know, now my sim partner's co-pilot, and and you know, Carl, that was stressful to me, <laughs> you know, because because he had done a decent job with me, you know, uh, you know, helping me out as a co-pilot would, right? And, you know, he he caught a couple things that maybe I didn't catch right away, and you know, so we kind of worked as a team. And now I'm over there, and I'm thinking, man, if I if I put in the wrong frequency or the wrong altitude or read the wrong checklist, you know, or something like that, I could really hose the guy. You know? <laughs> so, so there was a lot of pressure on me on the right seat too, which I didn't really expect until I got over there. But, uh, he, he, apparently I did fine <laughs> in the right seat and, and he did fine and he passed too. So it was a good day for both of us. Well, I'm glad you're like that because, you know, you're very conscientious. And I'm glad that you really were worried about your sim partner. So the hat's off to you there. Because some people, after their check, are like, okay, I'm done, you know. But you got a lot of work to do still. Just like you said, a couple more hours in that simulator. But uh, what a journey that must have been. I mean, you you probably were slept for about three days afterwards. I was so tired. And I didn't get good sleep especially the last few nights I was there, you know, just thinking I got, well, my sim sessions were all at six 30. So yeah, I had to get up at five or whatever and, and get out there. But, uh, just, you know, the knowledge that I had to be up early and I had to, uh, you know, perform, you know, well, man, I didn't get good sleep, of course, naturally. So, uh, yeah, I was pretty exhausted. I got done the, uh, the sim and all the paperwork and, you know, at the end we took care of IACRA and the temporary certificates and all that stuff. And I got out of there about three o'clock in the afternoon, starting at six 30 tomorrow. So it was a pretty lengthy day. And then immediately hit the road and drove up back, uh, Oklahoma city. So I could, uh, you know, be back with my family and go to sleep, <laughs> which I did <laughs> for a long time. I, um, one of the things that before we close up one last thing about preparing yourself psychologically, I mean, that must've been, a lot of pressure on you. Uh, I'm assuming that I know you said you didn't, you know, it was tough to sleep and stuff like that. Was there anything you did that kind of prepared you? Did you do more exercise or maybe have a couple cocktails before you went to bed to, to help you relax or something like that? 
or both, maybe. <laughs> Why not? Um, you know, I, I I did actually run a lot. That's what I mostly do for fitness. So I did run a lot while I was down there, trying to you know just work off some of that you know, nervous energy or whatever it is. Um, but the other thing that and, and my sim partner was was real. He, he repeated this several times to make sure I understood. You know, is it? Hey, look, these guys, you know, all the instructors and, and the company is here to get you your type rating you know they're they're going to do everything they can do to make sure you succeed um not only because that's a nice thing to do but they want your repeat business of course down the line so um you know they're they're not trying to wash anybody out they're trying to get through and and the instructors repeatedly told us that you know hey if you need an additional sim session or two they'll they'll do that that's fine you know they'll just you know stay another day or two obviously nobody really wants that to happen but the if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. So there's not that real fear of, uh, you know, you fail a check ride and then, then you know, it's going to be two months to reschedule it, you know, and, and this whole thing. No, it's going to be right away and pretty pretty immediate. And they'll, they'll, they had given examples of where they did retraining, you know, that day, you know, for, for some issue someone had on check ride. So um, once I understood that and, and realize that, yeah, of course that's, that's true. You know, that took a lot of the stress away, I think. And the fact, I think that's a great example for any instructor to be like that is, you know, say, Hey, you know, we, we're here for you. We want your business coming back. And, and I, and as you were saying that, I said, gosh, you know, as a flight instructor, we should all have that same feeling no matter what rating we're trying to get people. Sometimes we uh, kind of forget that, but I, I think that's terrific. I, I tell you, I, I actually went and uh, did a type rating at a company uh, over in California uh, flight safety it was called and they're still around actually and big big company and boy i tell you what that was one thing that was amazing is that uh they said to me you're the customer and we want you back someday so we're here for you and gosh when they said that i was like you know that that really resonated with me as a as a flight instructor um and that's probably why they do so well too is they hire people like that um that that really really want to help you and i know rush you're like that as a flight instructor which is cool and I, and i think we all should do that as a great great example but uh, before we close up, any other last comments before we, we move on to our picks of the week as far as the type rating and maybe where people might be able to find more information about this? Well, where to find more information? I mean, you got, you like you mentioned, flight safety. There's uh, CAE SimuFlight. Uh, there, you know, there's a couple other uh, companies that do this on a regular basis. But there are other ways to get type ratings as well. Uh, you, know, you, you can do it in the airplane. You know, if you have access to a Citation or a Learjet or whatever, you could do all the training in the check ride and get your type rating in the airplane. And that actually would eliminate the uh, 25-hour requirement that I talked about earlier. Of course, it's obviously a bit expensive to do all that training in, in an actual airplane, but you could do it. Um, <laughs> there are some places that will do um, kind of, you know, some simulator and, and some real airplane and that kind of thing. So. If you're interested in this kind of thing, you can look at the, the big schools or just Google for, you know, type rating in your on Airbus or whatever, you know, and see what comes up. Uh, so there there are options and different ways to to approach this thing and, and cost levels that are all over the place as well. 
I'm glad you mentioned that, especially like with Airbus and 7.3 and things like that. Um, there are all, there's a lot of those out there, a lot of companies doing that. We, we talked about some of the bigger ones, but they're all over the place. And um, sometimes they, you know, borrow other people's simulators, et cetera. And it's uh, pretty cool. So if you're, you're thinking about doing it, another thing that I found out before we did this interview is that some of these companies will let you come in and, and get some time in the simulator if you want. Of course, you're going to get charged by the hour, uh, but it's, uh, I think that would be pretty cool too. If you can't afford the whole type rating, well, why not just go get a couple hours in the, in the simulator or in the airplane, obviously, if you can, but you know, if you, well, you know what, Carl, th- thanks for mentioning that because there was something I learned uh, while I was there that was very interesting. So, you know, I had my sim partner, right? But if you were, if maybe you had, you know, five people in the class or something, right? So one is the odd person out, right? Um, they will provide a sim partner uh, for you. And this person is someone who, you know, they've trained up to be hopefully a good co-pilot. <coughs> um, so how they compensate those people, I guess, in a lot of cases is, you know, these people, I guess they're volunteers or, or something. I really don't know how that works. But but if they are if uh, sim partners for a certain number of times, the school that I went to will then send them through the full type rating course. So they're kind of like, they get like an SIC course, I guess, at first, and so they can be a, uh, a co-pilot. And if they do that enough times, it's a lot of times, I think it was something like 80 times or something, but then the school will pay for your type rating course and they'll send them through. So that would be another way, going back to what we talked about you know, earlier in the episode about how to pay for it. Well, if you live close to one of these places, maybe that's an option. You, know, you just do a bunch, of, uh, a bunch of SIM sessions and build up your credit that way. I know what's going to happen after this episode. There's going to be a mad dash to the sim companies, and people are going to be volunteering to sit, sit right seat and be a sim partner for somebody. But uh, that actually is a really cool option, uh, and that's pretty cool that uh, you mentioned that. Uh, something else to kind of look into if you're interested in the type rating. But, uh, Russ, this, is, this has been awesome. What a neat journey you had. Uh, I'd love to hear about, actually, hopefully you'll get to fly the plane and uh, and like to hear back from actually doing that and, and getting in the airplane someday. But I, I really you know appreciate your sharing all this with us because there are people listening that um, are thinking maybe someday I too can get a type rating. I think that's that's really, really cool. Uh, but uh, any before we get on to the picks of the week, is there anything else you want to mention? Yeah, just one more quick thing. I did keep a daily kind of a diary or a journal, I guess you'd say, and posted it on my blog. Uh, we'll have the link in the show notes. It's uh, cfirust.blogspot.com, where I just can't, every day I posted something, you know, what we did that day. You know, most of them are pretty brief, you know, because I had to study. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, and, you know, if anybody's interested in just kind of seeing how, how it went and what I went through, uh, check it out. Cool, cool. Maybe some, maybe there's some pictures there we could take a look at. Awesome, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, well, Russ. Again, that was awesome uh, relating that experience. And if you're looking for a challenge, you know, maybe there's a type rating in your future. Who knows? Uh, you know, I, I'd actually I challenge you to think about it. You know, you might be able to do that. You might be able to save the money. I mean, there's there's many things that people do in life, like uh, you know, challenges that they they want to you know have in their life and and say they've crossed that line and they want to do it. Well, this is this is a chance to do that. Maybe it's getting a new rating or something. But maybe it's a type rating. Maybe it's not your seaplane rating or something else. I think I think that would be totally cool to have that on on your uh, license. Our picks of the week. 
Anyway, we appreciate that. But uh, now moving on to our picks of the week. And uh, I'll start us off with the picks of the week because I think I didn't mention this in the last episode. Is uh, something coming up. I just did an interview there and I did a whole day there as a Sport Aviation Expo. It's happening again next year. It's actually in January. It's very cold. Uh, Well, it's cold for Florida. I mean, I think it's going to (laughs) be, well, it's going to be in the 50s, I think. Uh, uh, I I know I only did a couple of days. But it was it was really really cold in the morning. Uh, I know that on the on the third day it got down to uh, at nighttime it got down to fifty five degrees, and uh, so wow. people were really bundled Burr. up. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the first day of the show, amazingly enough, it got up to eighty degrees on day one. Uh, but uh, plan your time there next year. Don't forget it is Florida. It does freeze every so often, once every few years. We do get a freeze in the middle of the night, even that far south uh so bundle up and be ready for it there's places to camp the other cool thing about uh, sport aviation expo it's right near this really cool racetrack uh where they have uh, you know the famous uh 12 hour race that they have there in sebring it's attached to the airport uh so really neat place uh there's more and more things happening there technum has their headquarters there as far as their sales headquarters in the u.s and there's uh, many more things coming there again it's the u.s sport aviation expo and i keep saying light sport but it's not just light sport it's about all sport aircraft seaplanes and other types of aircraft even aerobatic planes etc kind of way they're going in the future with that so go check that out at sportaviationexpo.com so uh and start planning now for next year so victoria what is your pick of the week well, I'm sure you've all heard of the oatmeal and some of the fun satire websites. You're not really sure what real news is posted these days because there's a lot of fake news out there, so to say. Um, but there's this hilarious new uh, webpage, and it's also a Facebook page called Aviation Daily News. And the website is aviationdaily.news. And um, they're throwing some hilarious uh, fake articles out there. Um, One, for example, was that the FAA decided to um, redo the phonetic alphabet. And, uh, for example, G instead of golf was now NAT, G-N-A-T, and uh, X for xylophone and things like that. And I'm looking at the website right now at the um, most recent (laughs) articles. And one is Disturbed Simpleton Unimpressed with Friend Who Is Pilot. And uh, NTSB finds runway behind you, sky above you, and fuel on the ground valuable. So um, just a lot of jokester things. The other day they claimed they found Amelia Earhart um, in Georgia and uh, (laughs) stuff like that. And I've seen on Facebook it tricking some people. And um, but most of the time, people understand it's just hilarious. Uh, new Bravo clearance procedures during government shutdown. Uh, pretty much, once you're in Bravo, do whatever the heck you want. Um, items like that. It's it's pretty entertaining. So if you need a good laugh, especially aviation related, uh, definitely check that out. Uh, that's awesome. I just looked at it. That is just like way too cool. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm a, a new fan. I love this one. 10 reasons why 80% of students pilots drop out more than once. And, uh, so I, <laughs> I was like, guys, where do they come up with this stuff? It's terrific, but uh, it looks pretty new too. So, uh, uh, pretty glad, fresh. Yeah, yeah. So, and they have a YouTube channel and stuff like that. But that's awesome. So you find that at uh, aviationdaily.news is uh, the actual website. Well, I'm in the show notes there. So, Larry, uh, what is your pick of the week? Well, I have been enjoying all of the news coming out of Sebring and all of the news coming out of Aviation Daily News as well. <laughs> but if we turn our eyes towards the future, 
um, in a couple of months, we have this little thing down in Florida called Sun and Fun. And, you know, it, it's it's freezing here in southern Texas where I'm at. We, we're down below 60 tonight. It's awful. Um, and so I am thinking about those warm days to come over in Lakeland. And one way to kind of get in the mood for that, wherever you're at is to listen to Sun and Fun Radio, which many of us are a part of here on, on the, you know, Suck My Gavcast uh, team. Um, and you can listen in year-round. A lot of people don't know that. It's not just the week of the show, but year-round. They replay um, uh, content from, you know, interviews and, and some of the fun things that we do on deck and whatever. Um, and that is available at liveatc.net slash SNF, Sun and Fun. And um, I would just encourage everybody, you know, when, you, when you're just sitting around in some of the cold weather and looking for a little aviation, something to listen to, um, throw that into your rotation and listen to some of the amazing interviews of the WASPs or, you know, some of the vendors that we talk to or, or whoever, uh, some of the aviation, um, uh, uh, you know, greats that, that have designed airplanes or, you know, flown special airplanes um, over the years. Um, it's all there. It's all in rotation. Um, and uh, anyone can listen in, liveatc.net slash SNF. Thanks, Larry. You know, another thing, too, is not just the uh, the air show. They're doing some other things, too, and circling them in there. So Sun and Fun Radio is branching out, and they're doing some other things at other shows and trying to yes. include that in the loop. I think that's cool. So definitely check that out, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll see more shows that Sun and Fun Radio does because uh, Dave Shalbatter, hats off to him. He does a great job over there uh, helping out with that but uh, and running Absolute. it, I should say. And I can't wait to see everybody there. Of course, uh, the Sun, the you know Stuck Mike team always uh, volunteers at uh, Sun and Fun, which, by the way, we'll just uh, you know, a plug here. We're going to probably have a social event uh, this year, so stay tuned. We're planning oh, it now. Cool. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, anyway, the next... Uh, pick of the week is uh tom what is your pick of the week yeah so i was uh you know talking with a student the other day and, and realized that you know there might still be some people out there that don't realize that you know we um well I'll back up a little bit we were talking about um unmanned aerial systems drones particularly and um you know we had uh seen one that was flying probably illegally where it, where it was at and um, it started this conversation and it reminded me that um, you know if you have a private pilot or better that you can get your small um, unmanned aerial system certificate just by completing a course at faasafety.gov it's a part 107 course um, and if you are already rated you just have to go through a um, course that you cannot fail. Once you get to the test at the end of it, if you do answer a question wrong, it takes you, it's one of those that takes you back to the uh, um, area, reteaches you the thing again, and then you go, you go answer the question. Once you complete that course, you can just take the certificate to your favorite flight instructor who can uh, fill out a NIACRA form with you, and you submit that to the FAA, and they will send you a UAS certificate. Um, it's a cool little certificate to have, but what the reason that I got mine in the first place is kind of like I didn't understand a lot about what was going on with drones and, and unmanned aerial systems and what the particulars were. And it was kind of a know thine enemy kind of thing. So that's what got me interested in and I found out it was actually very easy to do. Um, so that was one thing and then it brought up another thing and this is almost like a double pick of the week that um, we're all familiar with skyvector.com. Skyvector has come up with a, um, a name for 
um, identifying where there is going to be activity for um, small unmanned aerial systems, and they call them drote hands. And I think I've mentioned them on the show before, but you can actually go on Sky Vector and click it on. It'll actually show you little purple rings of places where they expect um, drone activity to be. And then there's also areas or boxes where it's specifically um, prohibited to fly drones. So it's like kind of cool information, and I just thought it's something I'd throw back out there again. And uh, there you have it. Awesome. Well, I think that the, the Drotums, I think those are kind of cool that they came up with that name. Uh, I actually clicked on the, the, the website as you were talking, and I was like, oh, I better start batting down the hatches. I just realized there's a cold front about to come through where I'm sitting right now. So anyway, we, we better wrap up quickly. I'm just kidding. But, yeah, it's yeah I was looking at the same thing. It's, 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 it's just about to start hitting where I'm at right now. It's this big squall line that's pushing through on the, on the night that we're doing this here. And yes, we're supposed to get cooler weather behind it. Yeah, but nothing like up north that's for sure we can't, can't you know especially where rick is uh, rick what is what is your pick of the week yeah uh, unrelated to that the, the weather's kind of funny tonight it's getting warmer all night it's going to wow. um so yeah front's coming through and and it's going to be trying to melt off the ice and snow we have like climbing into the you know by tomorrow sometime in the 50s and then dropping again it's a funny roller coaster we're on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mine is uh, an iOS and uh, Android game that is called Alliance Air War, and it's a you know it's a military shoot 'em up thing, mm-hmm. uh, plane to plane stuff. Uh, but it's derived, I think, from a game that, that started out just called Alliance. That's a military game that had air air to air combat in it, and they pulled that out separately. And and the the Alliance Air War game is just is just air to air, and the, the and it is a beautiful. Uh, program. Um, it's sort of ultra photorealistic, and on the the screens we all have now in our pockets, it's um, it's really high res, really wonderful, and complicated enough to um, to keep you playing for a while. And there's a, it's kind of a freemium. You can certainly jump in and play it, and then uh, pay or earn uh, you know credits to get better planes and continue flying. And there's a multiplayer mode too as well, so you can fly against other people. So I'm not I, I'm not always too much on the shoot 'em up stuff, but I love how it looks. So I'm willing to take a few <laughs> take some shrapnel for the visuals. <laughs> um, but uh, it's beautiful. So I would say uh, yeah, Alliance uh, Alliance Air War. And I'll uh, we'll have a link. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, just looking at that too. Wow. The visuals are amazing. Stunning. Stunning visuals. I just go fly around in a, uh, maybe just fly around on a P 51. Don't have yeah, to shoot anything sure. down, right? No, no, exactly. It's beautiful. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks Thanks for that pick of the week, Rick. Yeah. Um, and uh, next, our next pick of the week is from Russ. What is your pick of the week? All right, Carl. Well, uh, for this week, my pick of the week is another book I do like to read, uh, obviously, if you. <laughs> Notice my picks of the week are often books. But uh, this one is called Sky Gods, The Fall of Pan Am uh, by Robert Gant. And I read this uh, actually a little bit while I was getting my typewriting. <laughs> so I finished it up. Uh, it, it's just it's a real well-written book just about the some of the history of Pan Am, which, of course, is a huge airline, you know, uh, you know, very famous, you know, the flying boats, the, the clippers, uh, you know, throughout the uh, you know, 30s and 40s. And, and then they had a bunch of problems starting in the 60s or so. And and this guy apparently was a Pan Am pilot and saw this all from the inside. And, and he uh, 
you know, so he interviewed a bunch of other people, you know, executives and all that kind of stuff and takes you through kind of the history of what happened and why it happened and, you know, some really bad management decisions that were made. And, but it's not just written as like a, you know, business book. It's got a lot of, you know, you know, personal stories of, you know, different pilots and, you know, flights they were doing and, and how, you know, they were taking everything going on in, in, uh, in the whole history of, uh, of the the business and and as it as it started to decline, so it was a really interesting book. If you if you like this kind of aviation history, um, it's about why you know one of the you know most famous airlines eventually folded, and uh, a lot of lessons in there for you know just general business and um, and other airlines as well. But real interesting book again. Sky Gods: The Fall of Pan Am. And another one I can put in my list, and all of us can. By the way, I'm glad you brought that up because some people ask us, you know, all, all these picks of the week that we've mentioned, um, you know, I'd love to get that book you mentioned like 10 episodes ago or whatever. Don't forget that you can actually click on picks of the week, and we have all the picks of the week out there. It's a pretty extensive list, uh, and we've kind of sorted it a little bit, you know, and, and just like in general products, things like that. But there's all a books and publications section of that and that's where you can find this uh within that picks of the week i i challenge you to go out there and check it out because there's a bunch of stuff out there that we've mentioned over the past uh, few years as far as uh, books that you can read and different websites you can do, go to and the apps etc so uh, just go out and look at the picks of the week in the past well guys russ especially this has been awesome uh you're bringing forth your this whole training progress and and congratulations by the way on on getting that type rating i think that's awesome yeah thanks a bunch carl it was a lot of fun talking today the after landing checklist well if you're somebody who's interested in a type rating i challenge you to go out and do it find the means uh there's scholarships like we talked about you can uh, you know earn your way into a simulator we kind of alluded to that um but maybe this is the time to think about uh, is there a type rating in my future? Maybe this is the time that I should start thinking about doing that. And all this advice that Russ gave you and that we've talked about here, I think will really help you if you ever decide to go ahead and challenge yourself and get that type rating. But either way, just you know, try try something new this year. I know it's January. We've made all these resolutions to do something new with our, our flying life. And maybe this is the time to do it in the type rating. Maybe it's time to just go out and get a seaplane rating or just try out a new aircraft get your tail wheel but you know i really encourage you to to go out and have fun enjoy flying and do something new for the new year and uh and don't forget next episode we're going to be talking more about these different items having more interviews and we really do love bringing this podcast to you well safe flying we'll talk to you next episode and uh like i said try something new for the new year go for a new rating get your type rating do something You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production. Thank you.